I wouldn't be here today if I let that stuff affect me. So I just thought I was in a really good position to change, change the world for other people. No royal coronation bank holidays for the Bunkered Podcast, ladies and gents. No chance, I'm afraid. So we are here, ready, primed and raring to go. The Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway Golf. Hosted by yours truly, Michael McEwen. Thank you very much for your time. If you're listening on this bank holiday Monday in the UK, then excellent. I'm hoping you're having a good time with it. Sitting opposite me, Bunkered editor Bryce Ritchie. Why are we not off today, Mr. Ritchie? Because we're working, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just the way it is. We go to print on Friday. And That's we true. Don't, we'll we give don't, you that. We don't have time for Coronation Bank Holiday Mondays. I'm sorry. No, no. You'll get, the, you'll get the day back if you want it. Yes. If everyone else is taking it, then I wouldn't mind. It appears in this office. Everyone else is taking it because when I came in this morning, I set the alarm off. Oh, well done. And I didn't know. Do you uh, know the code? No. I didn't at the time. That's why the alarm went off because I put the wrong code in. Well done. But yes, I realised, ah, yes, I'm the only person in the building right now. Obviously, I, I didn't realise how many of our colleagues were rampant royalists. Yes. But there you go. It appears to be almost 95% of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you watch it? I didn't watch it. I think I saw about. 10 minutes of it I thought it was actually quite hilarious you know those bad Disney films that you probably find Anne Hathaway in it was like that <laughs> and my father-in-law said why did he have a face like a torn welly all day he looked miserable the bastard he didn't even look miserable he, he, he didn't look I, I thought he looked from what I saw of it and like you I, I watched about 10 minutes but then my mum and dad came round in the evening because we had a busy Saturday afternoon with the wee one so they came round for dinner and of course when we get into the house mum's giving it oh can we just watch a little bit of Sky Shut News up, mum. thanks mum so yeah I, I saw a bit of it there I thought he looked emotional but whatever Kate looked good Kate always looks good yeah I'll tell you what that she's my queen <laughs> When that coronation happens and probably about be about 15 years, 15, 20 years, I'll be watching that one. Threatening undertones there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Very hey, soon, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, just, uh, just, <laughs> just to clarify, I, I'm, I'm, I think nature will take its course. Anyway, listen, if you watched the coronation and you enjoyed it, good on you. I'm glad you, I'm glad you did. Oh my God. We're, we're a podcast for everyone, Bryce. You might not be a podcast next week after this. <laughs> Ah, look, it's just, it's not my thing. If it is yours, then good on you. Absolutely fine. Shall we move on to golf? Let's move on to into golf. Trouble? Yeah. Resignations. <laughs> That's a handy link because we never know what we might be forced into after this episode. <laughs> the resignations on the DP World Tour last week. So Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter and Richard Bland all resigned. I like how you read that out the opposite way the tour did. When oh, they, put, you, they put, it was um, Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia, Richard Bland and Lee Westwood. Oh, yes. I thought they've deliberately put Lee Westwood at the end so they didn't have Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood and Richard Bland. Well, yes. I, I, <laughs> no offence to Richard, but that, that is why they've done it. Anyway, those four, they all, they all resigned their memberships of the DP World Tour last week. Pretty much in protest at the sanctions that are coming and the direction of the, the tour's leadership. This, it feels like, has been coming. We know that it happened on the PGA Tour when 
Kevin Na resigned his membership straight away when he joined Live, as did Dustin Johnson. I think Bubba Watson's resigned his as well, and several others. Phil Mickelson, I don't think, has as yet. But either way, it's almost like the DP World Tour and its members are now catching up. Are you surprised, though, Bryce, by the decision by these players, the timing of the decision? I'm not surprised. I'm more saddened at the way it's going now. And I'm I'm saddened at the because the consequences for the Ryder Cup are pretty big. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter at the weekend talking about, you know, these guys knew it was coming and they knew the consequences. Well, they didn't. They didn't know the consequences. You, you've, you've said that more than anyone. They didn't know the consequences. And I just think it's a, a sad state of affairs. And I, I was one of the very first to come out and say, I didn't think love would go anywhere. How wrong can you be? Look at the players they've got. I'm stunned that they've got this far. And it's quite incredible to think that the powers of be, it's their job to monitor how these situations will go long. They've got to have Keith Pelley's, that's why these guys get massive salaries to run huge organisations and oversee a huge body like the European Tour. You've got to be able to predict and work out how the future is going to go. And they have not done a very good job. I'm sorry. They haven't. Because when you've got guys like that that are turning their back on the Ryder Cup, that is a poor business move because the Ryder Cup relies on star names. And the DP World Tour relies on the Ryder Cup in yes. turn. So, so it's yeah. not... We were talking about this last week. The first thing that, that came to mind is that they've effectively lost between 15 to 20 years worth of Ryder Cup captains. In one fell swoop. In one fell swoop. Yep, Absolutely. The Ryder Cup is the big thing, isn't it? I mean, if they just resigned from the tour, like, you know, Kevin Nadd, Kevin Nadd never played the Ryder Cup, so if he resigns from the PGA Tour and resigns his PGA of America status... It's no great loss. No great loss. No one's going to... There will be no eyebrows raised, put it that way. And I don't think there has been a single eyebrow raised. I think most people have forgotten about Kevin Nadd's existence at this yeah. point. But this is different. I mean, the, the DP World Tour and the links into the Ryder Cup, to lose those three guys... Four... Well, Richard Bland never played oh, in the Ryder Cup. Oh, he's playing off his life, Michael. Do you think he would have qualified this year had he no. stayed? So there we go. <laughs> so to lose those guys that have got that record, that history, they're inextricably linked to all the success that we've had as Europe in the last 30-odd years. You have to go back to 1995 for the last time that one of them didn't play in the match. Which Is, is that right? Extraordinary, isn't it? So... To lose all that, I don't think is good for the match. People can make their own minds up about whether or not the captaincy is a big deal, no deal kind of a deal, and even more so vice captaincies. It's all part of it, though. It's all part of the of drama. It it's all part of the, the theatre. It's all part of why we love the Ryder Cup. That's why we get excited and speculate about who the next captain's going to be for so long. We've proven, we've proven in the past that the captain at the Ryder Cup is hugely important. You know... We've always had this conversation of you've got the great players, you don't really need a captain. Remember, a captain. Remember, somebody said about Scottish football, somebody said Celtic could win the league with the players. This was about 10 years ago with the players that they had. Celtic could win that league even without a manager. And I remember thinking, what a load of nonsense. It is a load of nonsense. You need somebody to lead. And my God, you've had a guy leading for the last two years. And before anyone starts with, oh, you're not talking about football this week, McEwen. Congratulations, <laughs> two in a row, well done, back Thank to back, etc. But captains are important. Of course they are. And and we've seen that with the result of like, Nick Faldo captaincy, with the greatest respect, it didn't work out. He no. wasn't a great captain. And I say the same thing about Harrington. 
Now, Jamie Weir on Sky Sports <laughs> tweeted me the other day saying, you know, you would never have known these guys would be any good if they were as captains. But that's think, not the point. What a load of nonsense. Yeah, exactly. You don't know what anyone is going to be any good. No one knew if Thomas Bjorn was going to be any good as a captain. Absolutely no one had a clue whether Davis Love would come back and, and win it. You know, it's just... that, that That's almost an irrelevant point. I mean, if... You, we're worried about losing these guys because they were going to lead us to the Ryder Cup. Then we're worrying about pointless nonsense because you can, as you say, you can't, you can't jump to that conclusion. What you're losing is the drama, the the spectacle that goes with them being a captain. If Sergio Garcia was captain and lost, that is a big deal. Yeah. That is objectively entertaining. We're still talking about Nick Faldo's captaincy yeah. 15 years later because you know, it was that bad. How like, many times... It's, it's, an, it's an important part of the... the how many the times have you sat in press rooms and talked with people about how exciting it would be to have Ian Poulter oh. as a Ryder Cup captain? His career is based on the Ryder Cup. Mm -hmm. His career is now finishing in a really weird way because he's not getting that bookend. It's, it's really sad for the Ryder Cup. I, I, I said the word disaster... And I get criticised for it, and I don't really care. I do see this as a bit of a disaster for Team Europe and the Ryder Cup in general because they are big, big characters. Mm -hmm. If Ian Poulter had gone out and been Ryder Cup captain next time, you know, in 2025, he would get... If he wins that, and it's fantastic, there's not a chance they're not letting him be captain again. Of course they are. They're going to go do it again because he's Ian Poulter... And I guarantee the same thing would happen with Westwood because he's hugely popular amongst his peers. Mm -hmm. And he would get it again. So you're talking there about eight years worth of captaincy. Yeah, look at the three guys that have gone. And Westwood, I think, shares the record for most appearances for Europe with Nick Fowler. He's played in 11 Ryder Cups. Sergio Garcia is the, the match's all-time record point scorer. Ian Poulter, granted, his record in the match latterly hasn't been great. Medina, look at that. The, the guy oozes blue and gold. I mean, that that mm -hmm. 28 Ryder Cups they've played in, a combined 28 Ryder Cups, 68 and a half points they've contributed. How can you be okay with that just walking out the door? You look at it now, they should have just said, fine, go and do your other tour. Yep. The other thing that is worth pointing out is the fact that Westwood, Poulter, Garcia and Bland have all made this decision themselves. They haven't been kicked out. They could still play and a role in the Ryder Cup going forward if they chose to continue to be a member of the DP World Tour. We need to be careful that this doesn't become a case of the Tour has forced them to resign. The Tour hasn't. No. They feel like they'd have no option but to, to turn you, their back on the Tour. But you were saying, this is where it gets complicated, you were saying there's still a chance that DeChambeau, yeah, yeah, this is the DJ part. and Brooks can still play for the Americans. Yeah, so as far as I'm aware, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka. Phil Mickelson, not DJ. I think Patrick Reed has he resigned his PGA Tour membership? I would need to check. It's impossible to keep track of them all. But as so long as you continue to be a member of the PGA Tour, I think I'm right in saying that you receive PGA of America membership as part of the perks of having that card, which means you're eligible for the Ryder Cup. So Zach Johnson can pick anybody who's a member of the PGA Tour, because they're also, by extension, a, a member, member of the PGA, PGA of America. America. So it's it's horrifically messy. We should add the DP World Tour so far has not announced any 
sanctions that it hadn't already announced. I gather they're going to make an announcement this week about what the subsequent sanctions are for the players who played in subsequent live events, conflicting ones, without having a, a release. What Lee Westwood said was really interesting. People say, I knew exactly what would happen, but nobody told us the extent of the punishments. That's spot on. They did not know what the punishments were going to be. They could have had a fair guess, potentially, but they were just told, you'll be punished for this. So I get that. He says, and they continue to do that. The way I view it is that as a European Tour member, I was allowed to be a member of the PGA Tour without any problem for all those years. Tell me, what is the difference? Just because Live is funded by the Saudis, a country where my tour used to play and where we were encouraged to play. What do you say in response to that? The whole where the money's coming from, you can't really go there now. You can't use that as any sort of um, reason or excuse. Or There's, you call it dirty money, whatever you want to call it. Everyone's got skeletons in their closet. I don't think that's really. I think we're. I think we're way past that. You made a good point. I keep saying you make good points in this Thanks. podcast, but you did. We're talking about Newcastle. You know, eventually we're going to stop talking to the fact that they're owned by Saudis, and we're just going to say, "What strikers are going to buy next year, and how much money they're going to spend?" And that is exactly what's happening. Everyone's getting excited about them potentially going to be win the league next year, or how are they going to take Man City? And that's that's just the way it is. I think we've gone past that. I don't think anyone's that bothered about the Saudi money. I think Jay Monaghan is. And he, Jay Monaghan was fury, fuming at the beginning about where the money was coming from. And then it all came out how much in the Saudi money had invested in some of his major sponsors and financial backers, which just makes them look stupid. And that's the whole problem. is you, There's hypocrisy everywhere on this. It's just one of those things that everyone gets all hot and bothered at the beginning. But then when they look deeper into it, they think, oh, mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. It's funny. I mean, I, I get amused when people come on to, for example, our Facebook page. And if we write about live or we do a, a live tournament preview. You're still a live shill, are you not? Yes. Yeah. Well, you're getting a, paid by a, them, are you A not? couple of things. One, How come you're getting paid <laughs> and I'm not? A <laughs> couple of things. On the one hand, I'm a terrorist pig. Been called that. That was one of my favourites. Okay. I was also asked. Terrorist pig that gives money to the donkeys every month. That's me. <laughs> Should see these donkeys though, they're mental. <laughs> but yeah, on the one hand, I'm a terrorist pig. I've been called that, I've been called worse. And then even just at the weekend there, I'm getting called out because I'm not pointing out the hypocrisy in, sorry, quote unquote hypocrisy, in reporting of live by other journalists. Listen, you can't win. The internet is full of faceless accounts that are just going on there to be angry and get our eyes. Good luck to you lads. You're, you're not going to find it here. But it's true. I mean, they, they do get very upset and angsty about it. And I, yeah, I, I go back to the original point. I do laugh when people come on our Facebook page and they start moaning and shouting and, you know, why are you covering live? I mean, you are complaining about Saudis and you're calling us every name under the sun on Facebook. Look into what the PIF has invested in and you will quickly discover they have a lot of money in Facebook. Mm -hmm. You fill up your car at BP. If you're in America, you probably use the Bank of America. Do you go to Disneyland? Do you watch Disney Plus? Guess what? The PIF's invested in that. Do you get Uber? Bingo. There you go. The PIF, point being, is that they have investments in so many different things. But we're drawing a line in the sand at golfers. Mm -hmm. Do I like what they're doing, listen, I don't begrudge them it. It's their choice. It's their prerogative. I'd rather that they didn't. 
I'd rather that Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter stayed with the DP World Tour and became the captains because that is where I've, I've bought into this for so long that this has been coming and now it's not and that is disappointing as a fan. It's the same thing as, as, as nearly 20 years ago when guys were going to the States and playing in PGA Tour events. The reason why Retief Goosen was a European Tour player and then started playing quite a lot of PGA Tour events but kept his European Tour membership. Mm -hmm. Ernie Els did it. Vijay Singh did it. Vijay Singh mm -hmm. is a perfect example of it. But Tiger Woods never once joined the European Tour. I think he would have won the European Tour's Order of Merit about six years in a row, but he didn't. Yep. He wasn't a member of the European Tour, technically, like a Rory McIlroy would be mm -hmm. or a Richie Ramsey would be. So why did they do that? They were going to play in events that were going to pay them more money. It's not that different to what we're talking about now. And that's the point that Westwood's making. What is the difference between leaving the DP World Tour to play in the PGA Tour or leaving the DP World Tour to play in Live? Uh -huh. Is there a difference? It's the fact that it's smashed a hole in what we know as golf. It's, it's smashed a hole in everything that's meant to be normal. It's like football's Super League that didn't take off. It's <laughs> like that just sort of happened. And Inter Milan, Celtic, Man United all went to play in the Super League and Celtic won it. I don't remember that. The tour have been threatening to go after Sergio Garcia over his unpaid fine. 16 of the 17 players who were fined for playing in that Centurion event back in June last quarter. That's almost yeah, a year. That's a year, Jeez, yeah. oh. 16 of the 17 have paid up. I could, if you told me that and you said which one didn't, I reckon I could have guessed it would be Sergio. Yeah, yeah. Why hasn't he? And should he just cough up? Because he's Sergio. No, I, I, listen... I was a huge Sergio fan, and then as as time progressed, I sort of ugh, just don't think he's he's not what I wanted him to be. I saw a great picture over the weekend; can't remember what I was doing, and saw a picture of a very very young Garcia with Seve. I think Garcia; it must have been. I think the picture was taken in about nineteen ninety eight, and the two of them were smiling. And Garcia just looked so innocent. And you think, back then, the future for Sergio was just... Whatever he wanted it oh, to be. Oh, just what a player. I mean, what mm. a talent. What a player he is. But then he just developed into this sort of angry, you know, mm -hmm. petulant... you know, Chip go, on the shoulder. Yeah, br brutal. So it doesn't surprise me that he's the one that said, I'm not giving you the money. You know, he's just, he's just such an angry, angry boy. He used the word petulant. Mm -hmm. He's... He got older, but never grew up. No. I'm like you. I, I, I used to love Sergio. I've had dealings with him. He's been okay, but most guys have been absolutely brand new that I've dealt with. Mm -hmm. Sergio was just okay. I thought Sergio, I've spoken to Sergio a few times, and I thought he was um, I thought he was a closed book. Didn't give you anything. Aloof. Yeah. just didn't. It's like he would do the interview, but he didn't really want to do it. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you were fine, you was a sea layer. It yeah. wasn't very, it, very little charm, put it that way. Yeah. I think this one's going to rumble on and on and on. Like I say, the DP World Tour is supposedly going to come out with further sanctions or details of further sanctions this week. So stay tuned for that. We'll be covering it at bunker.co.uk, no doubt. Let's look elsewhere. Some of the other stuff that's gone on over the last seven days or so, Bryce. Phil Mickelson. <laughs> Phil had 
a real pop at the USGA and its chief executive, Mike Wan, over Taylor Gooch's exemption or non-exemption. Is Phil talking US to Open. us all now? Oh, he's back on Twitter. He's back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, nice. he's picking and choosing his moments, but yeah, he's he's resurfaced. Taylor Gooch, I'll cover this very quickly. Taylor Gooch thought he was in the US Open this year because he qualified for the Tour Championship last year on the PGA Tour. He managed to do that, accrue enough points before he jumped ship for Liv. So even after all those months of inactivity, he still ended up qualified for the Tour Championship. That's no mean feat, by the way. That, that shows how well he'd been playing before he moved. Anyway, he was operating under the assumption or belief that he was in because he says that the, the exemption criteria for this year's US Open said anyone who qualifies for the Tour Championship is in. He claims that the USGA retroactively, to use his word, changed the wording of that to say anyone who, anybody who qualifies for the Tour Championship and is eligible to play. Because he played on live, he then got banned by the PGA Tour, hence ineligible to play even though he qualified for the Tour Championship. Long story short, Taylor Gooch is out of the US Open as it stands. He can still qualify through the world rankings. How he's going to do that is anybody's guess. Or he could go to sectional qualifying, although I think he's maybe even missed the boat on that because I'm sure that must have started by now. This has all kind of been rumbling on in the background for a week or so. Phil Mickelson responded on Twitter to a picture he saw of Mike Wan, which had a quote on it saying something along the lines of, you know, it's very unfortunate when we make changes to our criteria, then obviously some players miss out, but we're going to look to the future and blah, blah, blah. Mickelson, straight on Twitter and called it a dick move by the USGA and Mike Wan. Called them both out, the organisation and the chief. Two-part question, Bryce. One, what do you think of the whole Taylor Gooch fiasco? And secondly, Phil Mickelson calling it a dick move. Well, I don't really want to call it a dick move. I don't think what they did was correct. I think it's unfair that as a let's have a wee sneaky change in the footnotes of qualification here, and I don't think that's right. The Do guy, you think that's what it was? Yeah, yeah, the guy looks like he's qualified for an event. It's like the RNA saying the top 50 in the world will qualify for the Open, but then realising that in 50th spot is Phil Mickelson. So they say, well, obviously he's not going to qualify, but you know what I mean. Let's say... It's a hypothetical. Yeah. Well, we've now changed it to top 49 that now qualify. Mm -hmm. That's effectively what they've done. Yeah, I don't think that's right. I think it's it sets a bad precedent because it, it's um, slightly altering the course of qualification for a lot of things, and I think that's a bit. Mm, you're going out your way to make sure a live guy doesn't play. Well, it shows, or would appear to show, where their loyalties lie. Yes, absolutely, which is quite concerning because you're a that's, governing body. You should be above it. Yeah, that's the opposite of what Martin Slumbers and even those at Augusta were doing. They just want. You know, if you've qualified, you've qualified. The best players in the world will play. We're not going to go out of our way to kick anyone out. But the USG are doing the opposite, which potentially makes me think, because the USG are an American organisation and PGA Tour are an American organisation, you wonder if they're colluding in the background a little bit. Well, that's what Phil's getting at. He's and used the term collusion a number of times exactly, now. Yeah, and I, I, do, I do think that, and I, I think that's a poor move. I think... So interesting, you could say it's slightly, I don't like the, the word that he's used, I think, for a a guy in that position could maybe be a wee bit more eloquent to make his point. However, 
using that language did make headlines yeah and drew attention it, to it drew yeah. attention to it and perhaps got his point across maybe if he'd been a little less crude it wouldn't have done so I think it's a dreadful move to use Greg Norman's expression I know we're now sounding very pro-live and I'm sure there's a lot of people getting upset just let it happen yeah just the, the, those organisations should be to use what Norman says be Switzerland they should be neutral they should sit above it and <laughs> rise above all the noise and the drama that's happening elsewhere They've got them. They've now got themselves involved in something they didn't need to get themselves. They should be like in. liberal Democrats. They're about making no difference to anything. Who? What? The, Carry on. The liberal. There's another few thousand we've lost off the podcast. A few dozen. It's the liberal Democrats' place. <laughs> Ooh. Anyway, Rory McIlroy. He returned last week to the PGA Tour at the Wells Fargo. First time we've seen him since the the Masters, where he missed the cut. Few questions for Rory to address last week. One, what happened at Augusta? And two, why didn't you play the RBC Heritage the following week, knowing it was a designated event and knowing that you couldn't miss it because you'd already missed your one designated event of the year in Hawaii at the start of the year, I think it was? Rory said to the Golf Channel that he skipped the RBC Heritage for his emotional well-being, emotional and mental well-being, then they had the whole issue of is he going to be sanctioned by the PGA Tour for not playing that event, if you recall, at the RBC. A lot of players, Xander Schofield, even Justin Thomas, saying that they wanted transparency from the PGA Tour in terms of what action it would be taken against Rory for not playing. PGA Tour famously doesn't like to disclose details of disciplinary action against its own players. But Jay Monaghan, speaking to a handful of media last week, did confirm that Rory will be getting $3 million docked from his player impact programme bonus. I gather he got something like 75%. All players get 75% of their earnings, earnings, of their bonus money up front. So that's $9 million in Rory's case because he got $12 million. That remaining $3 million, that remaining 25%, they have to meet certain conditions in order to activate that. By missing his second designated event, Rory didn't meet those conditions, there goes his $3 million. $3 million? It's, well, it's, it's money he never had. I'll, exactly, I'm telling you. Get your kids playing golf. $3 million quid he's getting docked and it's literally a drop in the ocean. Yeah. It's unbelievable. My heart bleeds. Are you surprised that Rory's having that penalty enforced by the PGA? Yes. Sir? Uh-huh. He's the... He's one of the biggest poster boys for the future of the PGA Tour and they're docking him three million quid. Effectively, to, to Rory, that means like taking 50 quid off me or something. Mm. I don't know. It's just, it's just, I would probably think, oh, I don't really want to lose that, but... Hmm. You'd rather have it, but it's I not going to make any meaningful it. difference. No, I mean, it's just... Punishments are meant to make a meaningful difference. What, what I also found was that quite a few of the players seemed to want to know what was going to yeah. happen to Rory, which I think is interesting. Is so, that because they want there to be consequences for actions or because they want to know what will happen when they decide Either to that events? or that, they just wonder what's the tour's relationship with Rory. Mm -hmm. and do, that's what I think they're more interested in. Does Rory live on the level play, playing field with us or is he an exception? Mm -hmm. You know, so we'll wait Quite telling that, actually, isn't it? Like It's almost like a few players think that mm -hmm. there's one rule for Rory, another for yeah. us. Let's just prove that there's not. Jay Monaghan did say that that money would be docked and there would be consequences unless there was a medical reason for you not to play. Rory did say it was for his emotional and mental well-being. 
could a doctor have written him a line to not play for mental health purposes? And if so, does that qualify under the PGA Tour's conditions? In other words, would that allow him to get around it? Well, massive speculation incoming, but it would, you, you would require a doctor's note if that was the case. So I don't know whether PGA Tours have doctor's notes. I think they have doctors. Yeah. Their own doctors. Yeah, so I'm that, sure that, if Rory needs a doctor's note, it won't be hard to get. get one. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's the, uh, we, it would require that, I would suspect. We're, but we're speculating, Michael. Of course. We'll leave others to draw their own conclusions. Jay Monaghan, on the subject of the PGA Tour Commissioner, he made some really interesting comments last week, Bryce, about slow play. Ah, slow play. It's... <laughs> It's not going anywhere, and as long as Jay Monaghan's in charge of the PGA Tour, it doesn't look like it is either. As far as he's concerned, no big deal. In fact, he would rather players take their time so that broadcasts don't finish early. He said, we're in the entertainment business, we're on television, look at the number of times that we're finishing on time, if not early. That's a frustration of mine because we don't want people turning off CBS or NBC before six o'clock. Went on to say, we get into places on the weekend where, you know, there's a lot on the line. I think those are the moments that frustrate fans, but at the same time, there is a lot on the line. And then when you look at the things that you can do to improve it, I mean, we finished the Zurich Classic 20-something minutes early. So as far as Jay Monaghan's concerned, the biggest issue is what impact pace of play has on TV and not for the spectator either on the ground or behind the TV set. Yeah, didn't we say that last week? Something about sponsors having a bigger say in important events than fans appears to be the case. I do get his point. If you are watching an event on the TV, you don't get to see how slow it is. So there's not any real conversation about it. It doesn't go anywhere. Look what happened with Cantley. They stopped showing Cantley's pre-shot routine. They just went to him hitting the shot. So they were clearly wanting to show just the golf. Yeah. But there's so much more that happens behind the scenes. And what you're looking at, the, the two examples of Cantley come from fan videos that you've seen that take forever. That isn't showed on the TV because that's not entertaining. And I get that's what he's talking about. He, he will always be able to go to, but the times, the times, the times, look, the times are fine. You know, uh, the amount of times it's taken us to get round in a certain time frame is acceptable. Move on. But it doesn't mean you can't play quicker. But they are clearly accepting of the times we've got at the moment and it's just, they're just hoping the problem's going to go away. Or not, because you know the longer the broadcast, the more ad slots you can sell, etc. Surely et for Jay Monaghan to look at the abuse that his players are getting on Twitter, his duty should be to help Cantley, not work out some way behind the scenes that they can support him to pretend that nothing's happened. Yeah. His job is to, to help his member improve because he's getting abused by people on Twitter for it. Help the guy. But they don't do that. No, well, when there's money to be made. He should really say, yeah, there's a few instances that we're not too happy about and we'll try and address that in the background. Something like that. You know, you would I think. should be a CEO. I should be in charge of the tour. Everyone would be getting fined. <laughs> <laughs> no problem disclosing that publicly, eh? <laughs> right, one more thing to pick up on before we go to the break. We've got uh, another very special guest joining us shortly. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But... It was a big story last week at the International Crown. A fantastic, I have to say, a fantastic idea for a, an event on the LPGA. I think it's been there before. It's gone away, but it's come back. Thailand ultimately won it, uh, a team event. But it was the drama at the start of the week that really got people talking about it. 
Team England was supposed to comprise Charlie Hall, Georgia Hall, Jody Ewart Shadoff, and Bronte Law. Charlie Hall and Georgia Hall pulled out pretty much on the eve of the tournament. Forcing like 20, it was like a day before, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And that forced a, a late call up for Alice Hewson and Liz Young, who basically had to jump in a plane and, and fly over to San Francisco to take part to fill out the, the Team England side. You'd think no big deal there, but Bronte Law, Jody Ewart Shadoff, quite upset by the fact that neither Hull nor Hall contacted them personally to say, by the way, we're not playing this week. Seems they had good reasons, injuries, stomach issues but they didn't inform their teammates that they weren't going to play. And at the press conference, Bronte Law, quite a feisty character anyway, as anyone who saw her in the 2019 Solheim Cup will she, know. She's a great girl. Brilliant. She's brilliant. So much fun. Uh-huh. She didn't beat around the bush, did she? She said that, you know, it's not too much to ask for your, your teammates to, to let you know that they're not playing. It would have been a, a bit of class. Anybody with a bit of class would have done that. At which point everybody just went, where do you stand? I think from what I gather, Charlie Hall and Georgia Hall have since apologised privately to those two players, but... Took them a while. Took them a while, yeah. Took them a while and they had to apologise after they'd been called out. Mm. I think there's a little bit of decency somewhere along the line where you see Basic human decency, that's yeah, what that, uh, Brontilo said. That we're not playing, by the way, but to just pull out and not see anything and force somebody else to fly across the world with a short notice, I think is... It doesn't paint them in a good light. No. And there's clearly, um, I'm putting my red top hat on here. There's clearly something going on in the back. Your, your what, sorry? My red top hat. I'm a sun, sun journalist hat. Oh, on. right. Okay. Okay. Your tabloid hat. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. That there's probably something going on in the background there that's triggered this fallout because it was quite strange to not tell them, not apologise, then get called out. And take a very long time to apologise. Make no public, really, announcement about it. That's you think there's more to it than meets oh, the eye? Oh, there's something else going on there. Mm-hmm. If you were Suzanne Peterson, you'd be a little bit yeah, concerned. Probably, but there's a long long way to go. And I've, I always, I've learned to just accept that sometimes these things don't matter when it comes to things like the Ryder Cup and the Zion Cup. Look at like Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth and the fallouts they had. Kepka to Shambo last yeah, time. Yeah, all that. Now they're best pals. Apparently. International crown, quite a quite a cool concept. As I say, ultimately it was Thailand that won it, but something a little bit different. Good innovation by the LPGA. Anyway, loads more to come on this week's episode, including an interview with a man who will be hoping to make a little bit of history for himself this week. I'll tell you more about that in just a few seconds' time. Do not go anywhere. All golfers can agree, hitting it far feels great. But does it feel great? A first in forging has created irons that have never felt better. Paradigm was precisely constructed with the first ever AI-designed forged 455 face cup and an all-new speed frame to enhance speed and feel, earning 15 out of 15 stars from the Golf Digest hot list. This is the new Paradigm in performance from Callaway. Welcome back, part two of this week's Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway, Michael and Bryce here. 
pretty much the only people in the UK working today, apart from obviously doctors, nurses, etc. And Rangers players. Oh, <laughs> I'm not joking. I drove, pa- I drive past Rangers players every day, and they were all the way at the training centre this morning. Really? Yep. So they're not getting the day off. I would have thought they might. But no. there you go. All right, I see the links. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who did you see? Just out of curiosity, Connor Goldson. Mm-hmm. And I see Cholak every day, and he's. So you see Rangers players every day. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. edited stuff out there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes, that may have got somebody into trouble. <laughs> Shall we move on with the the, the, the plug for the, the sub offer, please, Bryce? The latest issue of the mag is going to print on Friday, as you rightly said at the top of the show. Can you tell anyone anything about it? It's got a US Open preview in it, and the cover star is pretty awesome, thanks to you. Are you going to say who it is? Or no, is I'm that? not going to say right, who it is. Saying that. Uh, and the cover is, without doubt, the best cover we've ever had. Ever? It's awesome. Okay. Great issue. And we're getting a lot of uh, inquiries from our newfound friends in England mm-hmm. for yep. subscriptions to or find magazine and go to the website. Just just do it. Yeah, exactly. Bunker.co.uk forward slash sub offer. £36. You'll be saving 35% on the, the cover price. You'll get 10 editions of the magazine for that. And as well as that, you'll get a free sleeve of six Callaway Super Soft golf balls, which are very good, actually. I've used those excellent golf balls. So we'll give you those as a wee free gift for... Joining the team, if you will. Next edition will be hitting subscribers' doormats and newsstands a week on Friday. And are you going to reveal more about the cover star maybe next week, Bryce? No. Okay. No. You'll see it when you see it. You'll see it when you see it. Just go and buy the magazine. Go into Tesco <laughs> or Waitrose and just go into the magazine aisle and Marks and Spencers. Just go and buy it. And you can't miss it because the cover's apparently that good. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> But you really should just subscribe. (laughs) Yeah, even better. So do that. Anyway, I was delighted to get the opportunity to catch up with uh, a remarkable young man last week. He's playing in this week's groundbreaking, first of its kind, G4D Open. So Golf for Disabilities Open. It is, without putting too fine a point in it, the biggest event that the disability golf movement has ever had And so much so, it's being classified as the first disability golf major. Brendan Lawler is without question one of the players to watch this week and is very, very keen to get his hands on the trophy. He's backed now by Modest Golf and you must have seen him on the DP World Tour. He played in the event in Japan just a couple of weeks ago. His profile is rising and rising and rising and in turn he is rising, raising the profile of the disability golf movement as well. So very happy to get the chance to speak to Brendan ahead of this week's event at Woburn for uh, an insight into his hopes for the week and also just how big a movement this is becoming. Brendan, welcome to the Bunkered Podcast. Thanks very much for having me. No, no, thank, thank you. you for your time. You, you're, you're a busy man, you've got a lot going on, and particularly this week, so thank you very much for, for giving us your time. Let's start with this week, the, the G4D Open at Woburn. Tell us a little bit about that, because let's face it, you're one of the men that's going to be contending for the title. Well, that's the plan, that's the plan. <laughs> but um, no, come here, it's a great initiative by... Um, by the RNA. We've we've done a lot of stuff for disability golf the last couple of years, but that officially have the first disability major. It's a groundbreaking event and whoever wins is gonna go down in history. So I'm really excited for it. 
And so you should be. There's a chance there to make history and get your be the first name on that bit of silverware. That would be very cool indeed. The, the disability golf movement, it really feels like there's momentum behind it right now. That I spoke to George Blackshaw, for example, just prior to Christmas, and he was saying the same thing. It feels like you have real momentum behind you at the moment. What What's changed, do you think? The big thing is, um, well, first of all, more really good players are coming into the game, which really helps the fact to push it to the bigger organisations. But when DP World took over the G4D, that was a huge factor as well because they're highlighting the sport. They're putting us on TV. They're giving us really, really good coverage and they're giving us a platform to share our message. And the more chance we have a chance to share that and to show people what can be done, the more people will get into it, first of all, and more people will, will start following it. Your particular disability, Brendan, so forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, but Ellis van Krieveld syndrome, is that right? Yeah. Brilliant 10 out of 10 for pronunciation, if nothing else. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that then and and how that affects you. Yeah, so Ellis van Krevel syndrome, it's a shorter limbs and shorter stature. So I was born with a hole in my heart as well, which I needed a VSD repair at six weeks old. So basically uh, it's a bone growth disorder and it affects your teeth, your legs, your limbs. And basically you, you grow shorter than everyone else. So I stand at four feet 11. And there was a lot of complications when I was young, a lot of operations. Uh, I was offered limb lengthening as well and didn't take it. It was something I was also, I was always very comfortable with my height. It, it never affected me and never stopped me from doing what I wanted to do. So I didn't fancy going down the, the limb lengthening route because everything about me was natural and I was just comfortable in my own skin and embraced what I had. I didn't want to get anything done. Limb lengthening? Tell me a bit more about that. Is it is it pretty much what it sounds like a, a procedure to you know make your limbs longer? Yeah, and it's it's pretty intrusive. It's like you put these like metal rods and there's needles in the rods in yeah. your legs, and you're you're in a wheelchair for like six six months to a year, where you grow maybe I think max is six inches, which is feck all. So I said for the sake of six inches and going through a year of pain and and literally giving up stuff for a whole year. I said, I think I'm comfortable enough in my own skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good on you. When was it that you were offered that? I was offered that when I was, well, I was offered when I was, obviously when I was young, mm-hmm. and then 12, then 16, then 18, and you can still get it done now, but it's something I never thought of, and, and it's something that I don't really have an interest in. Yeah, yeah, I can understand why. How rare is Ellis van Krevold syndrome? Very rare. So I was the first person in Ireland with it, which was pretty tough on my parents because they had no one to sort of get feedback of of, of what sort of road it would go or, or a role model to look up to. And, and social media these days, it, it has its positives and negatives, but I have so many people that have Ellis Van Krebel now that they can get in contact with me, myself and their parents can get in contact with me to see what journey their child is going to take, which, which is pretty impressive. And it's nice for them to have the security that, know that their child's going to be fine in life. So golf then, Brendan, when, where, how, more importantly, why? Why did you pick up golf? Golf was something I took up very late. I was big into Gaelic football. I was big into soccer. And when I was sort of 14, 15, everyone was, was outgrowing me. And I had, I had all the skill. I had the speed. It was just the physicality was becoming a little bit too much. And 
was coming home on a Sunday with a lot of injuries and it would prevent school for a week and all this. So mum and dad said, you kind of need to find another sport because this isn't going to work. So I joined golf when I was 16 in a golf club called RD Golf Club and got a handicap of 28 and come down, I think, 18 shots in the first year, got it down to 10. So I had a I had a talent for the game. And I also played pitch and putt for a long time as well when I was young. So golf was a game that I just got an addiction of trying getting better and better and the shots came down and started making local teams at a young age and it just went from there. Brilliant. Tell me about the equipment that you use. I take it you have to make some modifications, you know, particular custom fit equipment. Yeah, when, when I started off, everything was sort of off-the-shelf stuff and, mm-hmm. and manually done. I got my stuff cut myself and didn't get a proper fitting and used that equipment for a long time. And when I started getting real serious into it, I've, I've already kind of turned professional and, and started on the disability scene. And TaylorMade approached me and sort of everything. Basically, it's it's a, a full normal setup. Driver woods are the same length. Irons are half an inch shorter and three degrees flat. And my wedges are three inches shorter and my colour is three inches shorter. That's just for a little bit more feel, but everything else is pretty standard. Obviously, at that time when you were growing up, getting into golf and, and so on, and you know, taking an interest in the sport, there weren't other people there playing the game, obviously, that looked like you. Where did you look to for role models? Was it that you know, Tiger Woods would be the obvious example, I would imagine, but were there other people in maybe other sports that you looked to for, I hate the word, but a bit of inspiration? Yeah, 100%. And and to be honest, I never struggled with, with finding inspiration. It was, I took up golf to be on a level playing field like everyone else. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and when I got the handicap down to two, three, one, two, or three, you're against guys off one, two, and three. So height doesn't matter when it comes to golf. You're still playing off the same handicap. It's what, about what ability you have. And when I started to gain more confidence, it was when I was beating guys off scratch that mm-hmm. were five, six, or that were six foot tall. And beating guys off plus one or two, that's that's where I got my inspiration. And I think that's how I improved. But looking at who I was trying, like stereotype was definitely uh, Porrick Harrington. I was a huge, huge fan of Porrick growing up. And I had the joy to meet him in the Irish Open in 2010 when Shane Larry won as an amateur. That's and right, yeah. What a year that was. What a year that was. A bit and, wet um, from memory. Ex- extremely wet. Now, there's not many dry days in Ireland, but... Um, that was a day I'll never forget. Poor Harrington was couldn't have been any nicer. He gave me some tips, gave me some advice, and 10, 12, 15 years later, I'm, I'm very lucky to call these guys friends and, and chat to them on a regular basis. No, he's one of a kind, is Podrick, isn't he? He's a, he's a top man. Yeah. You've obviously been racking up the wins at a, a fairly impressive clip over the past few years. You know, you look at your CV, things like the Kasu Disability Opening in 2021, ISBS Handa World Disability Invitational in 2021, the 2019 German Disabled Open, G-Golf Knockout, the EDGA Scottish Open. I could go on and on. <laughs> what separates you from the rest of your competitors? What's the difference? I think, like, when it comes to, like, golf in general, I think it's mentality. If you... When you read out all them wins, though, there was a few events there where I started off in disability golf underestimating the guys I was against. And I didn't have my best stuff when I was coming, say, fourth, fifth. And that happened for the first, I think, two events, three events. And then I clicked into a different mentality of, of trying to win and, you could say, try to dominate as much as I could. And 
<clears throat> I went on to win maybe three or four times in a row against the best players in the world and that was incredible and that's really that's really kickstarted the the endorsement deals, the management teams and getting more people into the game. Twenty twenty one was definitely a year to remember. I, I won three times out of three. It was only three events because of COVID. And I luckily won all three of them. But it's been pretty dry since that. I haven't <laughs> won last year and uh, hopefully next week is 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 the week. Obviously, you you've been a big part of the 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 voice and the movement for for golf to become part of the the Paralympics. We've seen how successful the reintroduction into the Olympic Games has been. Justin Rose and, and Xander Schofley winning those gold medals in the men's game. You know, Nelly Corda obviously in, in the women's game as well. Most recently in in Japan, I think that the Olympics has been really good for golf. That just my my own opinion is it's been really good for the game. It's it's broadened its horizons. It's got more eyeballs on it. But there's no doubt that the next step has to be to get it into the, the Paralympics as well. Give me a sense of just how significant that is. And also, if you wouldn't mind, uh, an idea of the obstacles that need to be overcome. Because it's not just as simple as getting somebody to say, yes, it's in, is it? No, and I, I wish it was. Like, I think we put in the 2024 Olympic bid, you had to put it in a lot of years before it happens. And we played our first event in Scotland, and I think the bid went in about three months before that, when we saw again that first bit of traction. Mm -hmm. And it was knocked on the head, and we got all this great momentum. And then we got bad news recently that 2028 is, is not going to happen. So I could be in a wheelchair by the time we get into the Paralympics myself, we could be that old. But um, it's it's mental. It's just so many... Well, with the Paralympics, what them guys are afraid of is they have to hand out so many medals for different categories, like arm, leg, cerebral palsy, shoulder and stature. But what we're doing with the DP World Tour... We're trying to prove to these guys that all he needed to do is three categories, Gross, Net and Stapleford, because the guys that are competing on the Gross are all at the same level. Guys that are competing on Net will all have a handicap, and then Stapleford will be will be handicapped as well, and also the wheelchair category. So I think, unfortunately, they're making it a little bit harder than it should be, but we're definitely knocking on the right doors to make the change. Why do you think they're making it harder than it needs to be? What? Why? How could that possibly be in their interests? I I don't know. Like there, there's many sports in the Paralympics, and it has to go through like a five five tier process. And I did hear golf got to the last tier, got to the fifth tier, got the check, but also four other sports got the check, and they must have just picked one out of a hat. I I really don't know how it works. That's just crazy, but, isn't it? It's mental, and golf's such a, it's a household sport now. Everyone plays it, everyone follows it, and disability golf in general is probably the most highlighted disability sport, not in the world, but it, it's pretty highlighted at the minute. So I think it is very disappointing that I didn't make it in, but I think we're making good strides to get into the next That's by having the support of the RNA and certainly the DP World Tour as well is, is so critical. Keith Pelly gets a, a lot of stick. He's had a lot of criticism of late over the last 12 months or so, particularly maybe over the last three or four months. But what he's done since he's come in at the former European Tour in terms of inclusivity and representation has been transformative for people like you, hasn't it? Yeah, big time. And that's uh, when, I, when I hear people talk bad about Keith Pelly, I have to bite my tongue because he's changed a lot of our lives. He's... He put his neck on the line to make this platform 
for disability golfers to perform on. And it's it's going really well. And, and himself and Ben Cairn, I feel, are doing a fantastic job of, of highlighting the sport and creating opportunities for everybody and putting more money into these events. And it is a shame. I think golf is a wee bit in turmoil at the minute with the dreaded L word I won't mention. But, um, <laughs> well dodged. Yeah, it's um, I'm all for competition, but if they all got together and, and formed one big path to make it work for everybody, I think that would be um, maybe a better way to approach it. But I can't fault the guys. They've, they're doing an amazing job for us. Mm-hmm. They're um, creating a platform that we can get endorsements, we can get sponsors and, and get our name out there. So the guys are doing a really good job. Yeah, exactly. And, in, you know, in terms of creating opportunities, it's not just within your own space. I mean, you get into play in, in full DP World Tour events such as Japan a couple of weeks ago. That That's exceptional. Tell me about that experience. I know you would have preferred to play all four rounds, but tell me what it was like pegging it up against those guys. Yeah, it was amazing. I, um, I played my first DP World event in 2019 in the Belfry, which mm-hmm. was, it's tough. It's, the experience is amazing being around them guys, you don't feel like you're too far out of place. Mm-hmm. The only reason, the only tough thing about it is the length of the courses. So this course in Japan was like, I think 7,400. Guys are ripping drivers 300, 320 and going in with nine irons. And I'm hitting like four irons into tight pins and, and that's what really makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. But any chance to showcase, like in Japan, the Japanese fans were loving it signing autographs, uh, taking pictures with all the guys. You really feel included. And I think it's important, even though we have the G14 now, I think it's important that the tour do let out the odd invitation mm-hmm. to show guys that anything's possible and giving certain people that more coverage to give other people a chance to get themselves out there. And I think that's important. And that's where Dr. Hand has been so great as well. Yeah. I think having those individuals supporting and encouraging and willing to give up invitations. I mean, let's face it, sponsors all want to have, or would appear to want to have, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas and Xander Schofield play in every single big event, particularly the PGA Tour. But people like Dr. Handa saying, no, let's use this exemption to do good and show inclusivity. That, that's critical. It's it's unbelievable. And Dr. Handa, his, his values are incredible. Like, had the privilege of spending the week with him there. And we had some amazing chats of maybe we could, where we could go with disability golf. And he's all for helping out with funding, helping to get the word out. And if you have people like that on your side, you can get your message across much easier. And he's been incredible the last, I've been with ISPS handing out four years and it's just been a dream come true. The guys are lovely to work for. When you go to any event, they bring you to, the treatment is like you're a celebrity. It's mental. They have your cars there, bring you out for food. The guys are incredible. I can't speak highly enough about them. You talk there about the conversations that you have about where you can go in the game and where can you go, Brendan? What What are the goals? What are the aspirations? Well, to be honest, my, uh, the, the next goal is creating... The, we have a world tour now and we want to start introducing prize money. The fear with disability golf is we're, we're starting to gain massive traction and we have some very, very talented players. The only fear is these talented players leaving the sport because there's no income. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to fund events. Uh, DEP World have been very good to pay for our flights, accommodation and, and expenses. 
But unfortunately, you have to take a week off work. You have to pay for a caddy to get over there. And we're having these conversations with the tour, and they're really, really willing to help out with all this. So if we can push the message in the right manner, I think um, all this will change. Like, we had these conversations last year, and we were told, oh, that's five, ten years away. And then we're having a new conversation this year where it doesn't seem a whole far, far away. So I think if, if someone, I have a mentality, if someone tells you five years, I try to get it done in one, or even <laughs> half a year, which uh, sometimes it's bad and things, but if, if you want to get things rushed where it's a good message, sometimes it can be good. So uh, hopefully we can get that over the line. Listen, I have to mention, obviously, you, you posted it yourself on, on social media last week, the the negative side of social media. You, you alluded to the positive side earlier, but you have experienced the, the negative side with the, the particularly off the back of your performance in Japan. Some yeah. vindictive, nasty, frankly, subhuman people messaging you. What was that like to deal with? And how do you respond to that kind of trolling? You know what? I've had so many conversations with my parents and, and everyone about this. Not one of them comments has affected me in any way because I've grew up my whole life taking these comments. People looking at you. It's like second nature and I don't mind. What I wanted to do was basically highlight it for more disability athletes. They're going to be, the way I saw it was more of these guys are going to be in the limelight. They're going to be on DP World Tour social medias, say PGA Tour social medias, and I think the room for slander and and negativity, I have no room for it in my life, and it's only damaging for the game. And I thought this might be like a coping mechanism for guys that, like I don't struggle mentally with this, but comments like that, if someone's not in the right frame of mind, could really, really damage them. So I thought I was in a position to use my voice for good and basically for people to cope with it uh, rationally if it happens and not let it affect them too much. And to be honest, the only thing that really annoyed me was I was sitting home reading these and I had serious ripping material to go back and I couldn't put it in. <laughs> that was a, I was ringing my manager and I was like, fuck me, Mark, I could rip this fella out of it here. <laughs> but that, that's the thing though, you should be able to reply in a way that you want to, but obviously because of the position you're in, you are somewhat compromised by it. it that must be so frustrating. Because I mean, listen, I, I don't get anywhere near the same level of grief, but when I write about live or whatever it might be I've, I've had all kinds of messages sent to me by idiots and you know people who i'm, I'm quite amazed can operate a computer or a smartphone i, I, I yeah, don't know quite yeah. how they manage but i i struggle badly with you know having to not reply for professional reasons yeah it's tough right it's, it's human nature to want to call these people out big time and and you know what annoyed me was my family reading them like these, the comments I didn't care about because it, it happens, that's life, it's going to happen again and it'll happen again and again. Mm -hmm. Sticks but and stones, for, that sort of stuff, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. But it's hard for my family to be looking at that. My son's out here doing really good things and, and this shit's happening, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, exactly. So it was hard for them to see it, but I just thought it was it was, um, it was was a chance to use my platform, use my voice for good and I got really, really good feedback. I, I put a lot of it down to jealousy, animosity mm. and... Again, if if it annoyed me, I wouldn't be here today if I let that stuff affect me. So I just thought I was in a really good position to change change 
the world for other people. Yeah. So good if, on stuff, if stuff goes up, if stuff goes up, they can. Well, I think not replying is is a good good way to deal with it because you look like the bigger person, and I think that that we picture we did highlighting all the negativity and then a little bit of talk after it, it really hit home you mentioned your management obviously mark mcdonald at, uh, at modest golf and, and niall horan who will be a name familiar to everybody i'm sure listening to this pod have you spoken with them about this sort of stuff i mean niall would have experienced i would imagine almost on a daily basis that kind of negative side of social media yeah i never i sent uh, one of my videos went viral a few months ago it was me in Dubai in the water and there was a lot of negativity and it was the same thing. I was sitting there and I wanted to just rip into these boys, but I couldn't. And then it happened again in, in Japan and I sent Mark a voice note. I said, Mark, I just want to inform you that this doesn't annoy me, but do you think we could do something to maybe highlight it, make a change? He said, yeah, let, let me work on something. So he went back and done that. And, and the guys, if you've Niall Horan back anything, it's going to be worth brown bread. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Niall is a, a massive advocate for, for golf and disability golf. And, and he's actually changed my life with, with some of the things he's done. And I'm forever grateful. And to have a man like that in my corner is, is fantastic. Obviously, your profile is going up as well. And, you know, again, Niall can relate to that. He became a, a household name pretty much overnight. How much has he helped you deal with that side of things? Let's park the the trolls, but how much has he helped you deal with fame and celebrity, if you will? Yeah, he's been unreal. Um, He said we we didn't talk that much about the fame because it's hard to know when it's going to come. But I think when when you're from Ireland, the people around you don't be long bringing you back to normality when you come home. So I think that's (laughs) the important thing. Yeah, And and I have a family there that, that love me. I love spending time at home. Um, and, and everything's normal. I, I don't see this as celebrity. I don't. I'm just using my platform for good, and I'm not looking for credit. I'm just looking to change a few things, and and maybe the mentality of of people that are a little bit narrow minded. But <clears throat> the celebrity thing, I've been very lucky to be around some of the the biggest names in the world and the biggest names in golf, and we've just took it all in our stride and. I'm very one for enjoying the moment, but when that moment's over, don't don't dwell on it. Just go go to life like your your normal business and and work away, and just look forward to the next time it's going to happen. And and that's the way we do it. Absolutely right. And the next thing, obviously, the G4D Open. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll end up where we started. Yeah. Tell me, you you must be absolutely buzzing about this week. What what an opportunity! It's it's a game changer to be honest, and and it's it's our first ever major. So I think what everyone has gone in for to make that and edging that name in history, being the first to do it, being the first to win win the Open, and I think your crown champion golfer of the year. So it's a, it's a proper, it's like the Open for for the professionals, mm-hmm. and there's eighty players. Some players I never heard of could be a few dark horses in there that are going out to to win this event, and it's going to be incredible, and it's. It's going to show organisations how to run an event, how to run it properly, how diverse the disabilities are. and I, I think it's going to be a very good event. Have you been scouting Woburn? Have you been speaking to people about uh, looking up online? I, uh, I'll arrive on Monday and do my work. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm working hard on my game. I'm doing a lot of putting, a lot of chipping and playing, playing some good golf. So I'll arrive on Monday, play nine holes, scout the course play 18 on Tuesday 
make a game plan Tuesday night and go for it on Wednesday and then wrap it up course records and trophies that's what it's all about that is, that's it <laughs> well, maybe know I, what the first tee is in the course record as Tiger would say <laughs> very true well look I, I wish you all the very best I'm, I'm excited to, to see it myself I think it's a it's a great opportunity for you guys it's a long overdue one as well I think it's going to be absolutely awesome so Brendan I wish you all the very best indeed I can't think of listen there's there's going to be a worthy winner no matter what but you know no cheering in the press box etc but for everything that you've done for this movement in particular I, I can't think of a, a more worthy winner so <laughs> all the very best and uh, fingers crossed that you'll be holding the trophy come the end really appreciate that come here and thanks for having me on it's been it's been good thank you so much Yeah, what a top man. Many thanks to Brendan for his time. Bryce, the G4D Open, I mean, this is it's an a, brilliant, a brilliant innovation. It feels like a very positive and meaningful next step for disability golf. You look at people like Keith Pelly, Martin Slumbers, my goodness, we've, we've criticised them plenty on this pod for various things, Keith in particular. But when it comes to actions speak louder than words, right? And anyone can say anything and they can put a hashtag in front of a nifty little slogan and call it a campaign. Martin Slumbers and Keith Pelly have done more for inclusion, diversity, than an innovation in golf than really anybody, any individuals I can think of. The G4D Open, a brilliant extension of that. It's going to be a fun week, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Maybe not Martin Slumbers when it comes to innovation because he's trying to, he's trying to cut that a little bit. But I know what you're saying. Uh, no, you're absolutely bang on. Certainly, Keith Paley. I think, you know, we have been critical of Mister Paley on more occasions than not, probably. But you cannot deny the guys tried different things, and this is something that I think they they have really put their heart and soul into. I think a disability major golf tournament is a cracking idea, and you know, listen to Brendan. He's a he's a top guy. He really he's is. a top guy. He's tough as nails because yeah. uh, he he's how do you say this without sounding you know he puts himself out there on mm -hmm. twitter he knows what might be coming his way just the way the world is on twitter mm -hmm. some some nasty pieces of work out there and he knows what's potentially out there and he still does it and i admire him for that and he's you know i don't think some of these people would say that to his face no i bet they wouldn't i think that's credit to brendan he's the guy's tough as nails he's a hell of a good golfer he is, he's isn't he? looking yeah. at his uh resume he, he's a he's a winner mm -hmm. and uh, i think it'd be great if he went out and uh, won that tournament because it's the best way to kick off that sort of tournament for major disability golf because he's clearly one of the best players in the world absolutely like i said to him whoever wins this week is going to be a worthy winner but there is part of me that just thinks oh, i hope it's brendan for everything he's yeah. done for the movement as you say for for putting himself out there for the abuse that he's taken just by trying to well one be himself and two do the right thing to, to be proactive for a movement that needs a figurehead. Everybody needs a poster boy, right? And he's been that for, for disability golf, so it would be brilliant to see him holding aloft the trophy later this week. Anyhow, right, Podder of Merit. Thank you, as always, to Steve the Ref for his continued support and governance of this little game of ours. Last week, Wales Fargo Championship at Quail Hollow Bryce, you went for Ricky Fowler. Mm -hmm. You were expecting him to continue his momentum. And you know what? He did. Mm -hmm. Tied for 14th. I went for Justin Thomas. I, I don't really know a wee bit, why. A wee bit of a return. A little bit. Yeah. I just thought that going back to where he won the USPGA, good 
good vibes, etc. Would maybe light a spark in him that's been missing for most of this year. Kind of did. He also finished in a tie for 14th. Lo and behold, no change. So as it stands, as it continues to stand, Bryce for Michael Seven. This week then, we've got a few events on the schedule. We've got another live event in Tulsa. We also have the Sudal Open in Belgium. I'm a, listen, you you came from Belgium-ish, or at least you spent time no, there. No, I didn't. I'm from Okay. <laughs> You've lived in Belgium. Am I pronouncing that right? Sudal Open? How do you spell it? S-O-U-D-A-L. Yeah, it's probably it's a company actually. It's probably so pr- probably pronounced Sodal. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Guess the sponsor. What do they do? Water? No, no, I don't know. Tricky one that chocolate or something. Like that? I've absolutely no idea. It'll be some electric company or something. Like Sodal is a Belgian company whose headquarters is located in Turnhout. Is that right? Turnhout? Yes, Turnhout. I've been there. The company has developed into one of the most important and dependent producers of silicone and caulks. Polyurethane Silicone and what? Caulks. C-A-U-L-K-S. Polyurethane foams and adhesives in Europe. Glue. Basically. Foam, glue, things that make other things stick together. Stick together. <laughs> <laughs> so you have the, the Sudal Open. What course has it been played at? Rinkvin International. Never heard of it. Well, it probably didn't exist when you lived in Belgium. Maybe, yeah. That's possibly the reason. Golf was expensive when I was in Belgium. I was, was it? Boy. Yeah, it was a fortune, yeah. I think I think a green fee back then, I think my old man was paying something like £45 each for a green fee. Now in really? 1993, that's quite a lot of money, yeah. It would have been quite expensive. Like, it was so expensive he didn't join the golf club and he played every week. He just paid a green fee because I think it was that expensive. And I remember they had... They had defibrillators on the golf course. They had what, sorry? Defibrillators. Yep. What? Better second time around. Wait, what did I say? Defibrillators. (laughs) Defibrillators. Shut it, you. They had defibs on the the golf course clubhouse (laughs) with stretchers hanging off the side of the clubhouse. And I remember thinking, that's weird. Because their membership was so old. Is that right? Mm -hmm. They thought they would just die all the time. Now, that's their 20, 30 years of... Uh, in front of uh, UK golf yeah, courses when it comes to defibrillators on the golf club clubhouse. <laughs> AEDs, I think they're called. Are they AEDs. Not? What's that stand for? <sighs> Give me a second. <laughs> just as well, I bring my uh, my laptop to these things, isn't it? Yeah. AED defibrillator, a automated external defibrillator. Just call it a yeah. defibrillator. For God's sake. Yeah. Anyway, it's not the suit I hope that we're going for. We're going for the AT&T Byron Nelson on the PGA Tour. AT&T, of course. Well, do we need to? No, we don't need to. No, exactly. It remains my honour and... Is it? I, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've given this a little bit of thought this week. I very, very, very nearly picked Adam Scott because he's so good looking exactly then you saw him putt last night and you thought yeah "Yeah." (laughs) it's amazing that somebody who has that much of an issue is able to put together scores like minus 11 and finish tied fifth in the designated event there is a reason why he has a putter like that as soon as you see anyone with a putter like that you know there's something not right. You're doing something that you're not meant to be (laughs) doing because you cannot do something (laughs) that everyone else can do <laughs> In a nutshell, yes. Basically, yes. So Adam Scott, he finished tied fifth at the Wells Fargo. 
actually eight shots behind Wyndham Clark, who won his very first PGA Tour event. Four shots cleared of runner-up Xander Schofley. Xander, I tell you what, he got into position, by the way, and once again, didn't see it through. Uh, yes, for the first time, right, I was watching the golf last night and I thought, Xander's just making an arse of this again. <laughs> like, no, he never really goes on it. You ever seen... When was the last time you can remember Schofley going in a massive charge and and knocking in birdies and birdies and hunting the guy oh, down and then winning? I you never really see it. it. He never really has any dig. And Simon Holmes... The Olympics. <laughs> was it? Yeah. The Olympics, that doesn't count. So Simon Holmes, last night, it was the first time ever I thought, go on, you go, Simon. Had a go at him. Did know, he? Yeah, basically said, you know, as Schofley again, just doesn't have any charge in him and, you know, some other sort of shite Sunday, basically. Go on. So yourself, Simon. I thought, you're you're speaking my mind. And I tell you, right. listen, Simon Holmes gets a hard time. I've got to know him a little bit through the Sky Sports podcast. He is absolutely brilliant. He's a top bloke and extremely funny. Is extremely he really? Extremely funny. I thought he was, I've not, I've not, no, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan but I thought he was great last night. I thought it was hilarious. He's like clearly he'd had a wee glass of red wine before he, before he was <laughs> as everyone should, as before, we did this morning. Before he was deciding to stick the knife into Sander Chauvelet's neck. Brilliant. Yeah, so Chauvelet, another runner-up finish for him. Where was I going with that? Yeah, so I thought about Adam Scott for for the Byron Nelson, but I'm not going to go with him. Instead, I am going to go with Siwoo Kim. Oh, sh- bollocks. Is that who you had? Yes. Not a chance in hell. Not oh. a chance did you have Siwoo Kim. Let's see. Siwoo Kim, roll the dice. I'm rolling the dice. Why? No, because there's no way you're picking him because he's got the chance to win. It's a fluke. He's undoubtedly a top player. He's the world number 42 He's not exactly been on the, the greatest form That's of late. Why. That's I think his, his last top 10 finish was, funnily enough, his win in Hawaii in Sony Open at the start of the year. But since then, it's been mainly tied 20-somethings. Only a couple of missed cuts in there, though, which makes me think that he's good to make the weekend and that might just be good enough to pick whichever chopper yeah, you go for. Equally, it's the Byron Nelson. As I said, it's not a designated event. I want to save some of the big names for later yeah, in the competition. Yeah, let me. Uh... Uh, actually, despite the fact it's not a designated event, it's still a, a very, very good field. You've got Scotty Scheffler in there, world number two, Hideki Matsuyama, Jordan Spieth is playing, Tyrrell Hatton, another great finish for him at the weekend. He's an absolute stick on for the Ryder Cup this year, tied for third in the Wales Fargo. So he's playing again this week. Jason Day, I tell you what, I was really sad to see Jason Day saying last week that his vertigo has come back. Yeah, I saw that. He was, he looked like he'd really turned a corner and was starting to go places again. Hopefully, nothing serious. Then you've got Tom Kim, Seamus Power, who has gone off the boil a little bit, I would say, in his race to make the Ryder Cup team. Although I still think, I still kind of fancy his chances of getting in there. So yeah, it's still, still a pretty good field, to be honest. Right, let me, I think I know who I'm going to go with. Let's hear it. I'm going to go with Tom Kim. Can I ask why? Everyone gets really excited, don't they? Yeah, and I think it might be a little bit too much. He's the best player from 125 to 150 yards in the world. Well, I say in the world, but you know, PGA Tour. I'm ignoring, you know, Asian Tour. Scrambling from the fringe, number one. Second in driving accuracy. 
His stats are good. So stats why is he good, not playing better? Why is he not he, getting better results? He's played. He, he was 23rd at the weekend. He was seventh. He said, you know, top 25s. But it's that thing. There's a lot of pressure on him. He, he did so well. And then people are just getting crazy excited about him. It's hard to, to keep that up. Hasn't had a top 10 since January. The American yeah. Express, where he was tied for sixth. Yeah. But all I need him to do is uh, beat your man. Beat Sibu Kim. Okay. So as it stands... Bryce for Michael Seven. It is Tom Kim for Bryce, Sibu Kim for me, and it's the AT and T Byron Nelson. By the way, if we've made a mistake, then I'm sure that Steve the ref will be straight on onto his on Twitter. And I noticed that he took heed head oh, headed. He did? Took took heed of. Yeah, took heed of your complaint last week about posting the results. Well, that wasn't a complaint, media. that was a warning. So far, so far today, he has resisted the temptation. Quite right. Well done, Steve. You're learning. Cheers, Steve. Honesty box time, Bryce. This is a question that we posed to our social media followers. If you want to get involved, facebook.com forward slash bunkered online. What is or has been your biggest golf disappointment? I would probably suggest that not, I went probably 15 years without getting a lesson. Ooh. From about age 20 or so to get a lesson and I didn't really do anything about it and I think I just got into massive errors. I remember getting a various light bulb moments in the last 10 years and so. One with Andrew Jowett on the range in Spain which I've talked about but then the lesson from my good friend Mike Thomas <laughs> was amazing. Changed my, changed my game. I can't think of any major disappointments with me but when I always think of depressing stuff in golf and something that just gave me heartbreak and I was hugely disappointed. I have to say, watching Greg Norman blow the Masters in 96, that was horrific. I was a huge Norman fan. I still am a huge Norman fan. Greg Norman was, uh, along with Seve, one of my absolute heroes when I was a wee boy. Mm-hmm. Guy was just a star. Greg Norman was just the man. And then to see him blow... In such like spectacular fashion, still it's a hard watch. Actually, when you watch it now and you look back, you you can't you can't process what he was going through when that happened. And I still understand it would have been slightly easier to stomach if no, sorry, it, the opposite. It wouldn't have been easier to stomach if if Faldo hadn't played so well. But Faldo did play so well. Faldo went out and actually won that. But Norman just, oh my god, I don't think there's ever been a. I don't want to say choke, but it was though. Kind of was. You have to call it what it was, don't you? It was brutal. That was that's a horrible watch. I mean, if somebody said sit down and watch that, if you no. sit down for five hours and watch that, I don't think I could do that. No, I had similar with Monty Wingfoot two thousand six. I missed all that. It was on holiday. <sighs> I mean, it was unreal. Thanks, VJ. I actually <laughs> look back in it, and I yeah, yeah. I, I think that VJ was responsible. I, listen, he wasn't trying to hold Monty but up. he was responsible but he was it. responsible yeah. if Monty is able to go and hit that shot and not be held up and just stick in his own S- rhythm and not get in his own yeah, head yeah, 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 yeah. there is no chance he hits that second shot Monty yeah. would have won the US Open that year I yeah. have absolutely no doubt yeah and, 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 and you, you, yeah and then you look at what Mickelson did as well Mickelson, mm-hmm. if you you can watch that on YouTube the last like 10 minutes it's it's completely bonkers mm-hmm it's, it's absolutely it's a bizarre end to it, Absolutely it? bonkers And I missed the whole thing I was on holiday in the States I just thought, 
I remember waking up on the Monday morning and I was like, I couldn't work out what the hell had happened because American papers really ignore golf. Where in the States were you? Florida. So you got the, oh, I think I right, bought okay. the Florida, is it the Florida Sentinel? Yeah. <laughs> I bought that and it had like 180 words. So they had to cram. I remember reading it going, that doesn't really explain what happened. But there's like 180 words to explain how Jeff Ogilvie... 180 words? Uh, Jeff Ogilvie, VJ, Colin Montgomery and, uh, and Phil Mickelson made a complete hash, well, apart from Ogilvie, yeah. of the 18th. You think, what the hell's going on? And, and it, it, only until I came home did you really go into it. Yeah. But yeah, no, that was that was brutal as well for Monty. It was dreadful. The other disappointment I have, more on a personal level, was sleeping through the entire miracle at Medina. I think I've said this before. I'd run the Berlin Marathon that day. and You slept through that? I slept through the whole thing. I went to bed. So bear in mind, Berlin is two hours ahead of the UK, so I was absolutely battered by the end of it. It had been physically really, really, well, as a marathon, of course, it was really, really tough. But my wife and I went out for dinner. There was a little sort of, what would you call it? Uh, a beer house, a sort of Munich-style beer house in Berlin, but it was right next to the hotel we were in. We went there, I had a stein of lager. Stein! <laughs> and this giant uh, currywurst. But I also took two paracetamol and three ibuprofen. I can remember it. My wife's saying, you shouldn't do that. I'm saying, it's absolutely fine. So I'm knocking back all these painkillers with a massive, basically two and a half pints of lager and a hot dog. And I don't really remember getting back to the room. Apparently we left as soon as we finished dinner, got back to the room. I do remember looking at my phone and seeing that the Americans were like, what was it, 10-6 up? I went, it's all over. I mean, they were writing it themselves. Remember there was the famous piece by the, the guy at ESPN who yeah, said, yeah. this is done. This is done. And yeah, I just thought, oh, well, it's all over. Woke up the next morning feeling still dreadful, barely functioning, looked at my phone and it had completely blown up overnight. Like I had tons of messages. I think I had a missed call as well. Went onto the internet, looked to try and find the result, and sure enough, discovered that I'd slept through probably the greatest Ryder Cup in history. Yeah, I remember watching that and thinking, I, I actually don't remember it being as incredible as it was when it was happening. For some reason, I look at it now and I think there's so much of it that I, I actually don't remember. Mm. I remember Justin Rose's putt, was it on 17? Yeah, across the green. Across the green. I mean, that was just, if you're an American player, you must watch that and think, how the, yeah. I mean, talking about the stars aligning, yeah. just ridiculous. And they, they all did. They all did. And Mickelson turned around and giving him a wave and a thumbs up and everything. It was just uh, A bit of gamesmanship a there, I bit, think. But it was though, just, but yeah. it, was, it was mental, but I actually don't remember it being that incredible in real time. I mean, teams have come back from 10-6 down before. Did they not do that? Brookline in 99, the US did that. I think it's the fact that it had been 10-4 down and it yes. done it. That was the big thing. Yeah. But yeah, I missed the whole lot, slept through it. Rory McIlroy almost did the same, but that's a different matter. Yeah. I asked the question, as I say, on social media, some brilliant responses from people about their own golf disappointments. Let's run through a few of those. Peter Cool taking a, get this, taking a 16 on the last hole when I just played the game of my life. 16. 16. Peter. Peter, Peter, Six. Peter. David Graham, 
sitting in the 18th grandstand, oh yes, seeing Tom Watson miss the putt to win oh, a Turnberry in 2009. God. David says it would have been arguably the, the best moment in open, if not golfing, history. I do agree with that. That but would have been, he was, what, 59 years old? 59. 59 years old. Unbelievable. Robert Stevenson, not Robert Louis Stevenson, surely, uh, not getting to pick the ball out of the hole after my only hole-in-one as one of our four ball didn't know the etiquette. Oh, no. He picked. Oh, no. Who would do that? One of your playing partners picked your hole-in-one out of the... Oh, my God. No way. <laughs> there you go. You can have that. Jesus. Scott Thompson. Oh, the new Scottish golf app. There were a few criticisms of the Scottish golf app and the world handicap system, of course, live golf. Scott Turney, I've been playing golf for roughly 55 years and still don't have a hole in one. Scott, that that is not giving me any hope whatsoever because I'm in the same boat. Me too. That's going to happen for you though. I don't think it's going to happen for me. That's because you're a chopper. Well, there is that. A chopper who has played Augusta National <laughs> has some of that. Ron Davidson, three putting from four feet in a playoff to qualify for the US Amateur 30 years ago. A complete choke job. Oh, I could no. have been a contender. Ron. What's his name? Ron Davidson. Ron Davidson. Three putted from four feet. Oh, in a playoff. Oh, Ron. Oh. Well, at least you're not still just dwelling think, on it, Ron. Yeah, just think if he'd hold that, he could be tweeting us from a some sort of $12 million mansion in <laughs> Jupiter. The tiger is his neighbour. Oh, Hanging out with VJ. I tell you what, that's a sliding doors moment, that, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that is. That's painful. We'll hear this. A couple more. Jordan Rigdon. Hitting a perfect drive on a short downhill par four, knowing I drove the green. Walked up, didn't see the ball, so I checked the hole. My friend and I went crazy, then looked over to see a couple of my buddies looking a little sketchy in the next hole. One of them said I'd been about 20 feet, picked up my ball, threw it in and said, well, he's going to be happy. Blind tee shot, drivable par four, and his mates put the ball in the hole. To that's, make him that is it's nasty behaviour. That's douchebag behaviour. That happened to me once at there's a at Clover Golf Course. There's a par three. I think back then it was the fourteenth, and it's on a it's a blind par three on a left to right downward hill. It's a kind of strange hole, yeah. and I hit a. I didn't think it was a very good shot. We left. And I thought I was above the left of the hill and I went down and my ball was like a centimetre from the hole. And I remember thinking, I don't think my ball went there. And I th it was young boys playing in front of me and I think they moved my ball oh, close to the hole to no. make me think I was close to a hole in one. That's brutal. The worst part for Jordan, he says, I then put the ball back in its rightful spot, three jacked and made par. Oh, Brutal. And the last one, saving the, the best for last, Tom King. Viewing the old course at St Andrews in person was his biggest disappointment. I felt very deflated, says Tom. The first and 18th are as you see them on TV and you can feel the atmosphere around you, but the other 16 holes were a letdown, in my opinion. Interesting per perspective. Tom, Tom, Tom. I, I'll be honest, I've, I've played, been very lucky, I've played the old course three times. I have never once walked off disappointed. No. If you go there with maybe hopes that are too high, I can see why you might, that's like anything else, you can build it up too much in your own mind and then the reality is never as good as the dream. But 
oh, I'm struggling to see how you can walk off the old course and feel, you know, it's just not that great. No, I'm not buying that. I think you've played the old course, haven't you? Yeah. I get that there's some holes in there that are a bit straightforward, but it's the old course, it's the history mm -hmm. that, that goes, it's still great fun. Yeah. But there are a few holes where you're like, eh, it's not really up to much. But there's things, as you say, it's the history. Something has happened in every single one of those holes. Yeah, and, and that's it. And, and the thing about the old course is that it's actually very unlike most other courses. Mm -hmm. You know, they try that in and out, but the old course crisscrosses and it, it, it's that's what makes it quite good fun. It's completely different to everything else. Because if you were building a golf course today, you absolutely would not no. build a golf course like the old course. Now you think, they talk about the history and everything. We go there every five years for the Open and, and it's got a mega price tag and it's always busy and it's probably the most photographed golf course in the world out with Balfron. <laughs> and because of us, and amazing. But you think all the golf course architects in the world, absolutely none of them sit down when they get a blank canvas and, and say, you know what? Let's do an old course. No, exactly. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> they never do it because it's mad. And yeah. that's that's part of its charm. Yeah. So to go there and not be enthralled by that is a disgrace. And I want Tom blocked. Tom clearly has a very high bar, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Is Tom a member at Pebble Beach? By any chance? Presumably. Where's he or, from? Where's Tom I, I, from? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't bother looking him up. Yeah. I didn't think you were going to get want. that upset about it. I don't want to look it up now, Tom. We're finished, Tom. We're done. He's maybe a member at Pine Valley. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Something like point. that. Yeah, yeah. Gage point. Pain anyway, back. let us know your own golf disappointment. Slide into our DMs and let us know. One last thing before we go. Jeez, I almost forgot all about this. This is something I meant to bring to the table. Oh, it was maybe last week or maybe even the week before. Do you recall, Bryce, that I asked the question about strokes gained? Mm -hmm. And basically, I was looking for somebody who could tell us how it works in simple terms within the space of like 10 seconds so greg anderson who follows us on social yeah, media yeah. i think he's done it he says simply put your strokes gained on a particular shot or hole course or day is basically your performance in that situation versus the rest of the field average example well, i like this example michael McEwen. Hits he's gone past the 10 words already no 10 seconds. <laughs> 10 seconds 10 seconds yeah he's passed it but i think that's okay it's now the example i'm still past. i'm still listening so he's, he's won that part yeah so example michael McEwen hits his tee shot on the 12th at augusta to two feet and made a two the field average on the day you played augusta was a bogey four so in that hole on that day you gained two strokes yeah. on the rest of the field that makes sense. Yes. I think I now understand that, it. That, that is what strokes gained is. But every time somebody gets you to explain it, it's quite difficult. You're, you're, it's basically your score against the rest of the field average. But you do think, why did it take so long? It's like Mark Brody came up with yeah. that system, didn't he? Yeah. You think, why did it take so long for somebody to think of that? Yeah, exactly. There are, and there has been instances where even tour players like don't understand some of it. And that, that's the tricky thing. It's such a complicated system that there are two major tours in golf that don't have yep. that system because it requires such... Gathering a lot of data. A lot of data and they don't yeah. have the capabilities for it. So thank you for that, Greg. Tell you what, I'm going to send you something because that was excellent. Greg, Greg wins. Yeah, he's now saved the day. I'll be honest, I've forgotten it already and I think next time I see Strokes End, I'll go, what? <laughs> but I'm going to bookmark that DM so that I can always refer back to it. So thank you, Greg. Much appreciated. Thank you to you, Bryce, for your time as always. 
Thank you to Brendan Lawler and good luck to him and all the other players playing in the G4D Open this week. We'll reveal who won it next week on uh, next week's episode. Thank you to Callaway for their continued support and thank you to you for listening as always. Enjoy your golf this week. We'll be back again next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.